Get over here. PS5 Pro Controller. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I am your host, Brett Back, and alongside me this week, you may notice that one Saul Bridges is not here. He is at a wedding, uh, or actually he's going to be out of town <clears throat> for a wedding for a few days, so we wish him well, and hopefully he'll be back in time to still be on next episode. But I am joined by none other than the other person I'm always joined by, <laughs> Chris Figs. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? It's going. I'm I'm tired because of things I've been doing, but at the same time, that little back-end project that we're doing has got me very internally amped up. Mm-hmm. Like mentally, I'm, I'm hyped. But physically, I'm the, the inverse of that, you know? So it's been an interesting time. Uh, but if you're new to the show, we encourage you to stick around. And of course, we want to tell you, Welcome. We hope you end up enjoying the show. Uh, stick around where you can find out where to be part of the community when we do things like the community's take, where we ask the community to give their thoughts on a topic that we discussed and use that as an opportunity to either push back against our views, make us rethink our own views, or just add to the discussion in ways that we didn't anticipate or think of when we first talked about it. But we like to start this show off in a pretty time-honored tradition, and uh, that tradition is apparently now where Saul. Where is Saul? Chris, do you know, know where Saul is? Apparently, do you think we can make like a where's 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 Saul though? And it's, like it's a triangle squared book of Saul being in random gaming memorabilia, and you have That'd to try be and cool, find yeah. him. It's like in yeah, a star. See, if you guys want that, we need you to become patrons so that we can afford <laughs> <laughs> to make things like that. Yeah. It'll be a limited run book where we have to hire somebody or maybe yeah. myself to design these things and put little hidden Saul's in places. But no, seriously, we'd like to start the show off with uh, just kind of a recap on what we've been up to, what we've been playing, if we've been playing anything, so that you can get an idea of what we think is worth playing or what we don't think is worth playing. Chris, clearly you're the only person I can lobby to this week. So what you've been <laughs> playing and or not playing? Um, honestly, I've really only been playing I Will Be The Show because I've been watching The Boys. So you're so, telling me that after yeah. all this work into The Witcher... You're already done with it again? <laughs> no, I've actually <clears throat> I was actually playing before the podcast, but I'm playing on um Death March, so like I'm kind of not sure how I'm gonna get through this next section of the game. So I just took a break and then I got invested in the boys and I'm watching that. So haven't played as much Good luck really with that. anything. <laughs> Death March. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm locked into the uh Kara Mentz. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like cave things she has I to do. do. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I got killed by rats earlier. That was r- brutal. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. It's super mean, fun. It sounds like what Death March would make you think should happen, right? And that kind of the point. Yeah. You're marching toward death by some rats. Speaking of rats. <laughs> You've been playing Playtale Innocence? <laughs> no, nah, I haven't, but I've been debating Ooh, replaying incredible it. Incredible segue. I'm still in this terrible situation of it's kind of a good one because I'm finally playing the freaking switch that I've bought and has been sitting there for the majority of the time I've owned one <laughs> um, and just not being played. I'm still playing just a crap load of Pokemon uh, Legends Arceus. That game's really good. I like it a lot. Uh, still think that personally for me, 
as many ideas from that that can get transferred into the new Pokemon, I'm happy, even if they're refined as they should be. Uh, <coughs> but I am curious to see more about it. Uh, my he, the interesting thing is like my wife was watching me play it the other day or actually <laughs> what I did was we were at my friend's house and my switch fell into her lap I said well you want to play Pokemon and she just picked it up and started running around and she was like after about 20 minutes of messing around with it and looking at stuff she's like after you beat this I actually might want to play this and I was like okay that's <laughs> interesting because she's never wanted to play Pokemon before so I want to say that the same thing is true for her I just think that if you're trying to find ways if nothing else if you're trying to find ways to bring people who may have fallen out or never been interested in Pokemon in, maybe the way you do it is to either take some of those ideas into the mainline Pokemon or you keep the Legends series as a secondary series to where you have mainline split entries like Violet and Scarlet and then you have Pokemon Legends Arceus and then Pokemon Legends Lugia and then Pokemon Legends Mew or whatever it is that you want to come up with to where you have something where you follow a, a more legendary Pokemon. I think that could be cool. I'd be down with that. Play some, uh, I'd be down to play some Pokemon Legends Mewtwo and it's just Pokemon the first movie, but a game. Yeah, that would be sick. <laughs> there's, there's things I'm curious about, like taking some of these ideology and moving them into the modern day. Cause one of the things that makes this game kind of work is that you're at a point in time where not a lot of people know much about Pokemon. But it's always kind of felt stupid to me that in the Pokemon games are like, we need you to go fill out the Pokedex, but we've been living with Pokemon for hundreds of years and we know a lot about them. Then why is it important that we know the Pokedex? In this game, it makes sense because they're like, hey, this is kind of new to us and there are people who are more familiar with the Pokemon, but there's still plenty that we don't understand. And they treat the Pokedex differently where it's like, we want to, you know, the Pokedex is just catching the Pokemon and suddenly you know everything there is to know about that Pokemon. It's like, well, you got to see different sized ones and catch different ones and take them down with things that they're weak against and see them use some of their big moves. And I like that take on the Pokedex better because it feels like you're like Charles Darwin out there, like writing down things that you're noticing about (laughs) these Pokemon. And I just think that that's infinitely more interesting. And it makes sense in a time frame within the Pokemon universe when people don't know much about Pokemon as to why that's necessary. Now you could have, you could try and change it up a little bit and be like the professors are telling you to go out there and learn from yourself. And that the best way to learn is just to get in there and do it yourself. And so that you do the same things. You, you fight multiple Pokemon. The Pokemon have different physical sizes, even in the overworld, things like that could be cool. But I do think it's easier to do that when you have the, added benefit of being like oh shucks we're limited by the fact that we're in like ancient times not really ancient but you know kind of like i do like the detail that all the pokeballs are wooden and stuff i think that's really cool i love that i love the fact that you can craft them i wish there was a cost to crafting them on the go like there's little things that would make the game feel like you're more involved in the world like you can craft at crafting tables but they never really give you like you can craft more at crafting tables but you don't you can craft just as efficiently the things that you can craft on the go on the go i kind of think it would have been cool to have to be like you can make these things when you're on the go but because of the crafting table being so much more limited it costs more (coughs) materials that way it incentivizes you to actually use the crafting table because right now i never use the crafting table i haven't the entire game because there's no need to so I, i think to me it's like why put certain mechanics in the games just to kind of like actively persuade me against using them it's like making an open world and being like hey but you, you can fast travel please fast travel hey fast travel mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like so you made a whole world for me to just 
fast move through. through as quickly as I could. Great. But yeah, I, I think the game is good and uh, I'm happy to and be enjoying a game on Switch. <laughs> Who knows what else it'll be. I'm kind of, man, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know if I want to do Wanted. Partially it's time. I don't know if I want to do Wanted or Wolverine or if I want to do that alongside like a replaying a PS4 game that I've already beaten. You know? I mean, Wanted, I, I don't is, know. Wanted is a very fast game. Like That's not even yeah. a day of your time unless you go for the Platinum and then it's half a day. Um, but Wolverine, I think, is a better game. Well, meh. Apples and oranges. I would say play Wanted and Wolverine. Fair enough. I definitely needed a break from Wolverine, even though I'm probably going to regret that when I go back into playing it on hard. Yeah. It depends. The game wasn't, like I said, the only thing I'm even worried about on hard is that fucking final boss fight. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, am, I am dreading that on hard because it's just so poorly designed from a mechanic standpoint. Like the rest I of the agree. game is honestly great, but that boss fight, you could tell was like design. It was rushed. I think it was just like, hey, this is what we're doing in the movie. We need you to match that in the game. Yeah, great. I would agree with that. Uh, so. I'm glad you've been playing your Switch because I don't know if I ever told you the story, but there was one time I just couldn't find it for like three, four weeks. Just no idea where it was and it's totally fine with that. <laughs> Dude, honestly, that's how I normally existed, but it's it's normally put up in a drawer that I don't even think about. And mm. as far as I'm concerned, I don't own a Switch until someone asks me and then I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah I, I do. I own one of those. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, I have the thing. doesn't mean much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. That's such a weird state to be in because I can't even accurately describe what it is about the Switch that just doesn't draw me to it. It just doesn't draw me to it most of the time. And I think it most of the time is the games. And it's funny because people act like this is like the best Nintendo's ever done from a games perspective. And that might still be true. But I felt like I had way more fun with my 3DS in the latter years of 3DS than I've had with my Switch the entire time I've had my Switch. <laughs> wow. I wouldn't disagree with that. Better Pokemon games on 3DS. Oh, yeah. M- yeah much better. But even outside of that, I mean, like uh, Legend of Zelda, uh, Link Between Worlds, excellent. Oh, excellent. Oh, good so game. good. Best Zelda game in the last 20 years in my opinion. Uh, well, 20 years might be a bit, because at, at that point, best Zelda game in, in, in the decade prior. That's what I'll, I'll throw that up there. There you go. Uh, I would say the decade after, too, because they've not been a, a Zelda game that has been as good to me since then, but, you know. Um, it's, it's funny you say that. I actually did try to replay Breath of the Wild like two months ago. Could my friend let me borrow it? Really? <laughs> Got about 45 minutes in, and I was like, I, I don't care about this game at all. It is, I don't understand how to describe that one either. It, I think it's the weight of expectation around what a Zelda game is supposed to be in my mind. I, I honestly think if Breath of the Wild was anything other, if it was just called Breath of the Wild, and it had nothing connected to Zelda, and the character wasn't Link, and everything else was basically the same, but they had different things, I could probably see myself enjoying that game. Right. I mean, I but love that, that game. I, I think you're the weird person, expectations so. of uh, that a series can put onto something, and the longer a series goes, the more likely it is that the series will eventually have to like massively shake up what it's doing. It's funny that I'm asking for Pokemon to do exactly what Breath of the Wild did in terms of massively shaking up its <laughs> gameplay. 
But I would also argue that that I'd also argue that what I'm talking about with Pokemon, they did with Arceus, and it's not that big of a departure. Like it's big in terms of main gameplay mechanics, but it's still at heart has every staple that a Pokemon game has ever had. I would agree with that. Does does not. And I don't mean that it has to be a bad thing. It's just, that's the difference between the two. So it's on the table. It's, it's up for grabs as to whether you're into the fact that they're doing away with so much Zelda staples and changing a lot of the mechanics in that way. Or if you like the fact that Pokemon's changing a bunch of mechanics, but it's still ultimately the same game um, or the same setup. Either way, it's what it is. Maybe I'll continue to have reasons to play my Switch. Play your Switch. I, I don't know. Hey, do you like Pop-Tarts? Pop-Tarts are great. Mm. I really don't eat them much anymore. Definitely since I've been on my my weight loss thing. I'm 221 as of today. Attaboy. I was In April, I was 257 pounds. So doing, doing pretty good. a round of applause over mine. Um, Golf clap. But no, yeah. so I definitely haven't been eating like that, but... Uh, there's there's a handful of them, man. Brown sugar, um, good pop tarts, s'mores, amazing. S'mores, s'mores also great. Okay, um, dude, you, this is gonna sound crazy. Off brand, yeah. Blueberry like pop tarts smacks so much harder than real blueberry pop tarts. Okay, I like the it's chocolate one of my favorite ones, flavors because I like the ones that I can throw in the toaster and be like, pop. Oh, I've got a nice gooey treat. Delicious. I'll give you. I don't think the fruit ones work as well in the no, toaster. No, they don't. As the chocolate. I'll give you that. Nobody, the brown sugar nobody is, wants is simply blueberry. heaven. You got to have the, the the s'mores one in the toaster. Just... Yeah, dude, um, it's amazing. Why are there but you're right. Nobody wants hot strawberry. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> why, why, are there, what? why are there Pop-Tarts but not Mom-Tarts? Oh. I don't know, but we got to fix that. This because of the patriarchy. <laughs> racial. Sorry, this gender injustice cannot <laughs> continue to go on. <laughs> it's because of uh, the patriarchy. Oh, God. Is that the joke? <laughs> that's the joke. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks. That's, that's pretty I'm, good. I'm a big fan. I laughed. You're a big fan? Yeah. Three speed? Patriarchy. Speed? Oh, okay. three speed gotcha. fan. Three speed fan. <laughs> <laughs> yep, but the, bur- the my engine's out, so I'm not spinning. Yeah. Ah, damn. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, I, I know a vacuum repair guy who's great for that. Oh, great, perfect. Yeah, just call him and tell him you need a, a Hoover model duster. If I could actually pull the the breaking that would have been pretty impressive. Ass, yeah, that would have been good. <laughs> it would have been very impressive. I knew where you were going with it though, so I'll, I'll grant you that. You you I had a direction. So, I, I wouldn't have even brought up the, that it was from Breaking Bad had I been able to verbatim. <laughs> I would have been like, you either know or you don't. You're either yeah. in the know or you're not. But that's okay. You know, there is something about that Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, re- that's pretty good. You're, you're on a, a roll. High, that's a high-tier joke right there. Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm um, uncertain about, Brett? What's that? I'm uncertain about what people had to say about the community's take. I'm uncertain what people have to say about the community's take too. But you know what? We can quickly find out what it is Mm -hmm. and become certain. Yeah. Because I am certain. No, you go ahead. What are you certain of? I was was going to continue with the. uh, I'm certain that. So much You are coming into this with. I'm I'm here. Throw it out there, Chris. Let Let us know. Use your sultry voice. (laughs) God. (laughs) No, I'm pretty certain that you can. Answer the community state question, which is part of our main topic of the last 
episode on Facebook, Discord, Twitter. We don't put it on Patreon, but maybe we should. There you go. I mean, there you go. If you want to yell at us in the comments of the YouTube video, please do. Yeah. <laughs> feel, Somebody feel else tell me that Red Dead is good, but it's not. <laughs> That's going to be the hashtag. <laughs> we're going to we're going to have a hashtag campaign to force you to submit to the fact that Red Dead's good. <laughs> yeah. I'll grant you that on opposite day. It's very good. <laughs> The problem with opposite day is that it's if it's opposite day, it's the opposite of opposite day. Yeah, but that's a double negative, so it would just be opposite day, right? No. If it's the opposite of opposite day, it's not a double negative. It's just whatever the inverse of that is. Oh. Which would be opposite day. Well, <laughs> what is the actual word for what? What's the opposite word of opposite? N- opposite. I have to figure this out. No. What's the inverse of opposite? opposite. That reminds me of that old joke people used to make about the uh, the Xbox 360 when they'd be like, yeah, I just do a 360 and walk away from it. People would be like, no, if you do a 360, you're facing it again, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of the moment you have here where it's like you're asking what the inverse of opposite is, but opposite is just literally it's the other side. So the opposite of opposite is opposite. Yeah, It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. at this no, point. No, 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 you're missing a word. The opposite of opposite is the opposite. The the there is very important. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because if you don't do that, then you are actually <laughs> creating an yep. issue. Yeah. The opposite, yeah, opposite, opposite okay. doesn't mean anything. The, yeah. You know what opposite, else doesn't opposite, mean anything? That's just- CG trailers, which were not at the Xbox Game Showcase, which is what the community's take was about. I believe that... that what Brett, a segue, you know? Thank what you. I'm really segue. good. I believe that Brett's question was while he looks up the opposite of opposite being the opposite. Um, oh my God, there's so many posts in here. That's because I'm in the wrong one. <laughs> oh, well, that's simple. The question was Did you watch Xbox's Summer Game Fest showcase? If so, how did you feel it stacked up against the notably smaller state of play that preceded it? Did it move the needle for you to look more at Xbox at all or not? And, of course, we have a smorgasbord of answers from this. Not really. We have some. The Discord was quite popping. Twitter got a few that I can recall. Mm-hmm. And I think Facebook got a couple as well. So Little Mama should remix her song as the Discord is popping. The Discord is cool. All the boys be stopping at the Discord pool. Oh, God. You remember that song, Lip Gloss by Little Mama? Banger. That was I, a banger. I don't, I don't think I know what you're talking I, about. I know. <laughs> I, I I believe it in my heart that Kiki knows it. So Kiki, I believe that. But you know, you know what I I wish for you to have experienced, and if not, just the joy in knowing that you can leave here and go do it. Okay. Hey, if you got kids in the vehicle or around or anything, plug their ears up real quick. There's a song called "My Pussy Be Yankin." I heard. Okay. And it is an all-time classic. Gotcha. It is. Oh, let me tell you, it is. It's called, it's by Lady. And there's an oh. uncut music video that you can watch. <laughs> Pornhub.com, uh, Vivo. So have as much fun as you want to with that. The band uncut video on YouTube. Here it is. <laughs> have fun with that. Um, Not circumcising but you know the what? video today. Instead of popping that pussy, how about we pop these answers into your ear? <laughs> you can uncover your children's ears now. Yeah. You can pop your hands <laughs> off their ears. 
over on Facebook, which you can ask to be part of. It's a group called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, where you can be part of this. We have Mr. Blake Popst, the ghost of him. He comes through and says, I think both events were pretty damn great. More I liked from Xbox show, but it was also much longer. So that's really to be expected. Josh Shoot backs him up with a quick, simple, Blake hit the nail on the head. Uh, now we have another person in here, Mr. Mark Schutz. He comes in as somebody who I know is very, he's more partial to Xbox um, and, and conversations we've had. He says, hard to compare at 30, hard to compare a 30 minute third party based state of play to a full on 95 minute showcase, but enough for me to know there's enough coming in the next 12 months to keep me happy. Uh, and I think he may be meaning across both sides of the game of the thing. There are things that interest him, and that's all that matters, which is a pretty level standpoint. The ghost of Blake Popes rolls right back through the hood, coming saying, I will also say I'm glad Xbox stuck to the next 12 months only. They've been very bad about announcing games too early, and we really didn't need another CGI Fable trailer, which is the absolute truth. Um, so to that this is actually, I'm curious your take on this because Mark Schutz comes back and says, it's a lose-lose situation. A couple of years ago, they were getting slated uh, for not showing enough upcoming games. So they show everything and then get slated for showing things too far in advance. I'll be honest with you, Mark. I don't know what slated means. I've never heard that be a thing. But essentially, they're being chastised for not showing something. They're being chastised for showing something, but it being too far in advance. And... uh what do you kind of take of that? Because he says, you know, a, a lot of those having a go are going to be those who have no intention of buying the console or the game. So basically saying that the people who are bringing up these complaints are typically people who aren't even worried about the market that Xbox is trying to tap into. But in terms of someone who actually might be trying to look and earnestly saying, I have a PlayStation, does Xbox have anything of value for me? What do you think of that whole announcing things too early? Versus not announcing things too early, but not having anything to show. What do you think is the the lesser of two evils of that particular side? There isn't a lesser of two evils. There's a balance, I think. Like, I think the problem with this show is like, well, not the problem. It's a problem that Microsoft caused. But because we knew about Avowed, we knew about Fable, we knew about Hellblade. And then they focused the show on only the next 12 months. Then people are like, well, why didn't we see Avowed or Hellblade or Fable or any of these games? Things that we originally saw two years ago, and you're right. still telling me that they're not coming in the next year. Yeah, and I think, I think that's exactly. I think that's the biggest problem with what they showed. I think the games were fine. I think I've said before that for the games that I know I'm going to play, I prefer the stuff at the PlayStation Showcase. But Pentient looks really cool, like stuff like that. I just think that what they they backed themselves into a corner where this event should have been. Here's a look at the next twelve months plus updates on a couple of our first party tardy, Jesus first party titles, and then they show, hey, here's a clip from Fable, here's a clip from Avowed. This is how it's going on. You know, here's Josh Sawyer to talk about whatever, or here's all these people. They should have at least updated people on the games they announced when the console was announced. I think. You know, what I would really argue is that the, the problem that I really consider them to have done is that they, they overcorrected. They went yeah. from showing nothing, which has its own issues, because if you don't show enough, you want to show enough that's in the the near future 
to get people hyped about what's coming in the near future and something that's really palpable. And like, they're like, I feel like I'm close to this. But then you also want to give them announcements of things that are far off so that you get to, you get to go while I'm say, while I'm being satiated from the things that are in the near future. I know that I have this prolonged thing of what else is on the horizon. And I think the problem was is that they went from not showing much of anything to only suddenly quickly as a as like a hey we bought all these studios which means we have all these games that are in the works now and now we're going to show every single one of them to you in a one year period and a, the or one or two year period and the problem with that is if all of these are new titles then you don't have the other side of that so at first you were showing things that were in the forefront in the immediate for the most part right but you weren't showing anything further out at all so it led it led to a feeling that you didn't have a future for the platform then you've really hardly switched to feeling at least optically like what what you send out in these messages during these shows is up until this year the pro, the previous years is that feeling of we don't have anything now that we think is worth focusing in on, but rather let us show you all the things you're going to really slap ass in 2024. <laughs> and that's just not good. I think the better way to do it is to spend more time focusing on games that maybe we've heard about and showing them again. I know people get tired of that, but as I said with Deathloop and as I said with Ghostwire Tokyo, you have to show games for them to do well. And the more places that are, have a lot of eyes on them, you need to show them because it may be the first time that people have ever seen that game. It's just important to go ahead and throw it out there. Um, so to that extent, I think you need to focus. What they should have tried doing instead of swinging the opposite direction too hard was slowly filter these in. Did we, did we really need to see Everwild last year or the year before, whichever one it was? That's uh, that's the other game from Rare that they're making that after the CGI trailer came out, they're like, yeah, we don't even really know what the game is right now. So it's like, did you really need to show that? Or could that have been showed this year when the concept was more fleshed out and you knew what the game was and you could show a CGI trailer that gave us senses of what the game might be to some degree. And that could be exciting for the things that are in the future. And maybe a vowed could have been held off. Maybe a vowed could have been shown with more than just a, a, somebody's hand coming up. Maybe you show a vowed with more of a, teaser trailer that shows what about is instead they opted for splash screens with title cards and developer names and they're like here's what we're making true and it's just too far and don't wrong every studio every publisher falls victim to this i just think xbox fell victim too heavy in both of the problematic directions and are still trying to find a way to accurately balance that as much as it sucks, the real answer probably was, let's do a show that's only the next 12 months. And I think every studio should primarily adopt that, but then do what Chris is talking about. Have your one more thing that's your one or two big announcements that are really further off in the future. But you're not spending much time talking about them, so it's okay. It's the it's the eventual dessert to the appetizer and and main course that you're giving me right now. Right, exactly. And we'll see what ends up coming of that. Uh, we have Joey McPherson. He says, I bought an Xbox Series X a few months ago. First Xbox since the original. Just didn't like the way that they were doing things, like completely dropping support for their systems way too early in their attitude back then. I bought it because Game Pass was a very great deal. And I'm happy that I have one for all of that's coming out and almost all day one on Game Pass. So it sounds like he's saying that while he wasn't happy with Xbox, they've managed to make him 
enough of a fan again to commit into buying a Series X so that he can experience that side of the aisle when the experiences come through. Mm-hmm. Which kind of brings me back to that thing, though. The importance of disassociating Xbox with their console. Okay. Because while I completely agree with what he's doing, and he got an Xbox for that, I think the problem that you and I, Chris, have is that a lot of people still look at this business through the lens of, was that enough to make me buy an Xbox? Well, that's not what they're asking you to do. As they continue to push forward and do all these things, instead what they're asking you to do is not buy an Xbox and take a $500, $300 plunge. What they're asking you to do as they're continuing to go through is say, hey, you already have a gaming PC? Here's what Xbox could do for you on that platform. Hey, you have a phone? Here's what Xbox could do for you on that platform. Oh, you have a smart TV, a Samsung smart TV. Here's what Xbox can do with you on that platform. And now the only question isn't about whether or not they can convince you to spend $300 plus. It's whether or not they can convince you to spend $10 for a single month. And then if they can luckily catch you into doing that again and again. And I know it's hard to do that, but it's so weird to think of Xbox and not think about the console. But that's not the only form of business because like... Chris, you were saying like you're not as interested in what Xbox showed. Mm-hmm. But for the That's few true. things that you are interested in that that they showed, you know that you can play them on computer. Yeah, You know exactly. that you have a platform already that you have tapped into that. So when true. you're watching this, you kind of have that feeling of like, well, anything I see today is not telling me to spend money. It's telling me, it is, but it's not telling you to spend a lot of money. It's telling you to spend maybe $10 for one month of Game Pass to play that one game and then dip out. Exactly. It's not a bad place to be. You're not going to get me to buy an Xbox yet. They could have. Like, I would have bought one if Starfield looked more interesting to me, but it didn't. So I'll play it on PC for 10 hours. Can I ask why? Like, why, just because I'm curious as to the, the the mentality behind, like you're saying, like I might have bought an Xbox if Starfield looked better. But when you know your PC, that I'm well aware of your PC specs. I know that you recently mm-hmm. got it rebuilt. It's a completely capable PC. Any game you'd want to play on Xbox, you could play on your PC. We both know that. Yeah. So for you, what's the mentality behind the thought process of if Starfield looked better, I would have bought one. It's just more appealing to sit in a, in the couch instead of on the big TV. That's all it is. Fair enough. Yeah, no, that, that's reasonable. Yeah. For I you, was just, I was mainly curious because I know your computer is like essentially just directly beside the TV that you tend to play games in. No, it is, yeah. Or at least that I see you tend to play games in. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming half the time you're actually still sitting on the couch. Yeah, exactly. Like I have a couch behind me where I'm, I just turn the TV. So if yeah, I'm writing sure. or doing something on the computer, the TV's turned. So... Basically, every Xbox showcase for you is an is a attempt for Xbox to be able to push you out of or push you into spending the money so that you can be more comfortable. But the comfort right. isn't so much that you're going to do it without a reason. Exactly. The discomfort that you may experience now or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's just Starfield looks like a game I'd rather sit on my PC and, and play for two hours once once or twice and then never touch it again because that's how most PC games go for me. And so Starfield wasn't one of those like, oh, I have to play this right now. The ironically, the one game I'm most excited for out of that was Pen- Pentinent, I think it was called. The Pentinent? other Obsidian game. I think. Yeah. Yeah, the, Obsis- the Obsidian like. I always want to say Penitent, but that's I think it's because of uh 
blasphemous and they call you the penitent one, which is like, mm. a, you know, religious aspect. But I think that was just penitent. Yeah, I think you're right. But yeah, the weird, the weird part about the that Obsidian game is that that's a game that I feel like I would rather sit on my on my computer and play that. I don't have, I don't know why, because it's a lot of reading and stuff like that. So, well, like, <laughs> do you move between seats depending on what time, like what kind of a game you're playing? Yeah, because like I noticed, I like I could be wrong, but when when we were playing, one thing that we didn't actually throw out there that we absolutely played was we played a pretty Last healthy chunk of the last of us factions yeah that was really <laughs> fun we should play again we should and i assume that the entire time that you were doing that you were sitting in that chair right there i was yep yeah now when you play multiplayer do you tend to do that when you play single player do you tend to get more comfortable in yeah the i sit i sit in the chair for multiplayer so i'm paying more attention and then in single player yeah, i, I just like that. lean back and relax i'm one of those people like it's probably not even true but i assume that I lose my games of Apex because I'm sitting on the couch and I'm not like up, like I would be in a chair. Well, I kind of get it because, like you know the you know the body throw and there's they, you probably have done it in games like MLB where you're playing MLB or FIFA or something and you're in like a more relaxed like lean back position on your couch and then something starts going wrong or you're about to actually get a goal and you find yourself like jump up on the edge of the seat and you're like, yeah, yeah. like that's. I do that in shooter games too sometimes. Like, I don't think I would have gotten into Halo as much as I did if I had not been playing it on PC. As weird as that sounds, I don't think, I, I honestly think I probably would have been doing better on The Last of Us the other day had I been doing it on my computer, as weird as that is. But hey, I don't man. have that option. I mean, I do. I could move the PlayStation do. back to this screen, yeah. but I don't. It's a different room. Yeah, that's fair. I, I you know the room. So I forget so you've been I here could, now, but. Yeah, I have. I can move my HDMI around. Fifteen weeks ago. Fifteen weeks ago, exactly. Yeah, should have stayed 16, longer. Sixteen weeks ago. Dang. It's all right, bro. I'm working on getting uh, my job to open a bowling alley down there. So soon. Do it. That would be so fun. Do it. <laughs> Just get them to open one. You guys have one right close to you too. Would be perfect. Yeah. Why not, man? Buy that one out. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was telling them. It's, it's, it's already a bowling alley, guys. That's I told them that. I was like, there's a super mediocre bowling alley there. Like, just open one up, send me down, I'll run it. It's fine. If nothing else, they can go buy a college bowl, uh, which is significantly more, it's not run down, but they don't mm-hmm. worry about keeping it up. Uh, and they could just, there you go. You have lanes that you could just get refurbished and work out. And yeah. Then you have a pretty big plot of land around it so you could expand the building. Maybe one day I'll be you, a pillar Chris. of your community. But right now, who has who's the pillar of our community who has a take? You know what? The pillar so, of our community who has a take is Mr. Lord Corgi. He says, Lord? I think it moved the needle a bit. But there are still some big name games they announced that we're missing, which means they won't come out to holiday 2023 or 2024, like Hellblade or Avowed. I've had a minor interest in picking up a Series X and thought Starfield would move the needle for purchasing one, but what I saw did nothing for me. I'm more excited about what was shown at the state of play. Uh, and Lord Corky is a patron, which you can become by going to patreon.com slash nartech and giving as little as a dollar per month. Um, yeah. You know, Pretty much that's, that that hits the head for me. I thought it was a good showcase. Honestly, 
there's been a few Xbox showcases. I almost feel like every year I'm more impressed by Xbox's showcase. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's because every year there's a lesson they learn. And they're getting to a point where there's not as many lessons for them left to learn. And so I have a feeling that if they can really get everything right, next year's showcase has the potential to be amazing. It does. With that right mix between things that are coming out in the for like in the near future and things that are on the horizon while we're getting to see things that are in that midterm future, you know, so we'll see how that ends up kind of playing out, but pretty good one. Um, we have Aztec King and I want to do his because his is kind of an interesting one in the sense that he says, Nope, cause he didn't watch it. Um, which is completely fair. But as a curiosity, I asked him, what was it that had you not watch it? Was it just a sheer lack of interest? Is it because you don't own an Xbox, so you don't care? Do you only have enough time for like a single console? Do you only have enough money for a single console, so you just pick one and stick with it and you don't really worry about what the other people are doing? And his answer was, yeah, so the main reason is because I don't own an Xbox, so there's no interest for me, but when it comes to showcases, I'm only really interested in PlayStation. I have a Switch, but I don't even really care about what Nintendo is putting out. Which okay. doesn't sound That's too fair. too far from me in all honesty. Yeah. <laughs> I still watch it because I think it's interesting to watch what the competition's doing. Um, even if you just want to not call them competition, if you just want to watch what the industry is doing and how different pillars of the industry approach these things in different facets uh, in different ways. So fair enough. But we have Rude Days 93, another one of our patrons. And I think his is interesting because I know he's a big Xbox player. He says, watch both think both presentations were the best way for a showcase. Little talking and a game after game. My most hyped game is probably Final Fantasy 16, followed by Starfield and then Resident Evil 4 Remake. I would probably rate the state of play a little higher based on that, but the thing that Xbox Game Showcase has going for it is while there were only a couple of games that I was really interested in, every one of those games will be in Game Pass Day 1, Diablo included, assuming the Activision deal closes by then. So games like High on Life or Pentiment, uh, that's what it is, Pentiment, uh, I don't really have an interest in, could end up being some of my favorite games by year's end because there's no reason for me to not try them. By the end of the year, I could be looking back at the Xbox Showcase more favorable, but if I gave both a score out of 10 right now, it'd be a 7 for the Xbox Showcase and an 8 for the State of Play. Add a note, okay. do you think Xbox made a mistake of not announcing a week beforehand that this showcase would cover the next 12 months? Expectations for the show would have been better set by the hardcore Xbox fans and it'd be a view and it'd be viewed a bit more positively as a result. Uh, I've come to the point where I used to think that not announcing even the type of show that you would have the week before was a better thing because you would not ruin any of the potential surprise, but I'm starting to get to this point where the fervor of the internet is so unwieldy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to think that the only way to really have a showcase that can be any kind of good is to set expectations and then slightly exceed them. I can see that. That's fair. I, because if you set them and you only meet them, I think the problem is, is that people then don't feel like there was any sense of wonder or magic about the show. But if you set expectations that you push a little past, you have that magic. I think everyone was surprised at Resident Evil 4 Remake and um, 
uh, Final Fantasy 16 because it, we knew it was third party and we knew it was VR and that's enough for most people's minds to go, it's probably nothing too crazy. And yet it ended up being two pretty big announcements. So I think that that's part of why State of Play just hit pretty hard is it subverted expectation. <laughs> It kind of completely depends on what you call it, right? Like if you tell me you're giving me a showcase, that's a that's a big deal. But when I go to a oh, it's a state of play, where the last one that I remember like showed tribes of Midgar terribly, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, my expectations going into both of those are completely different. That's true. Well, I don't. Alone I'm not, can set expectations. Yeah, and I'm not saying Xbox didn't perform to a showcase level. I think they did. Like I said, just. Resident Evil 4 remake already kind of wins the day for me. So anything else was just. Well, know. that was until they announced that you could walk and shoot at the same time. Yeah, that's a bad decision. Insert, look what they did to my boy. You know. <laughs> they massacred my boy. Yeah. Take the gun. I'm going to do. Zombie. I'm going to do one more from the Discord and then a couple oh, yeah? from the face. Or I think. Uh, from Twitter. Um, so over on the discord, we have uh, awesome Dave, one, three, three, seven, one of our newest patrons. Thank you. Appreciate you. That's very awesome. Much. Dave. <laughs> he says it was good, but to me, nothing really stood out to me. I feel like too much was shown and the focus of the showcase was lost. I personally prefer the smaller style shows, PlayStation and Nintendo hold. And that kind of brings a point to, um, what Mark Schutz was saying over on Facebook about how it's hard to compare the two because PlayStation has the distinct advantage of being shorter. And I think it's easier to surprise in a shorter time limit than it is to surprise across a two hour show. There's just very little that you can do to compete because brevity is on the side of PlayStation and their state of play and lowered expectations. Like Chris mentioned with the name, the branding of state of play versus the branding of showcase. Um, so I think that's fair. And I also think we're getting to a point where people can, I'll, I'll say not everybody. There's clearly going to be people who love being showered with information. And then I think there's going to be people who like this idea of selective handfuls of information because it feels like it's easier to absorb and remember. One of the things, one of the things about showcases is that, it goes on so long that things that you thought caught your mind and that you'd remember end up being forgotten. And then by the end of the show, unless it just really stood out, you only really remember like one or two things. Um, like I don't, it's where I remember a lot of the Xbox showcase, but you know why? Or at least I'd be curious, Chris, do you feel like you remember most of what was shown during the Xbox showcase? No. I, now, mean, I have actually, a theory. Yeah, I think I could probably remember most of them. but I, I have a theory as to why I might be remembering this better than I typically feel like I would. That day, okay. I was... That day was my birthday, if I remember right. Uh, no, it was Sunday. So it was the day after my birthday. But still, we were out of town, and I was digging up rocks and looking for crystals and doing all sorts of stuff with the family. 
and was only able to watch in between while we were traveling different places or doing things. So I'd watch about 20 minutes of the showcase at a time. And I think what that made it for me is like my brain was able to better compartmentalize each bit of information. So it's like I, instead of watching one big two hour long showcase, I watched like two 30 minute state of plays and like a couple of handful of like 20 minute versions of that same thing. And I think it gave me the information in ways that were slower and a little easier for me to soak in and remember. Um, so there's a lot of value in that too. Um, yeah, let's see. I can, I can see that. Over on Twitter, I'm going to do our last couple here. And I think what we have is not a lot. Uh, we got, I did not watch it. I was in the mountains. Me too, Ryan. Me too. Sort of. I mean, I was in the mountains, but you know, not, not the same ones. Uh, Ross says, no, I did read about it after, but it didn't interest me much. Felt the recent state of play was stronger, but it was also much shorter. There's been some state of plays that haven't been interested to me as much. I kind of got lost on what he said here. I don't think he might have typoed, but there's been some state of plays that haven't interested me much either. So I think he's saying that this was just an exceptionally well state of play for him in this particular situation. And then uh, ShafeDog247, one of our patrons, he says, uh, what's an Xbox? He delivers that straight to us like the mailman he is. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, Chris, do you feel like anybody today presented anything that kind of made you rethink your position on it? Or do you feel like you still sit pretty firm with your initial feelings? No, I think I'm pretty firm in what I was saying because I don't think what I was saying was inherently wrong. Yeah, you know? I don't think it was wrong. It's just interesting sometimes to have people throw something your way and have it kind of slightly taint the way that you viewed something. I think I agree. Uh, I think the biggest thing is having somebody really t- bring up and talk about the lose-lose situation of not announcing anything but then announcing everything. It does help recontextualize it to where I have a little more sympathy for the position they found themselves in. But that's not necessarily for this year. It's more for previous years. But it it helps frame that this year they didn't want to commit that mistake again. So instead, they focused on the 12 months because you can't really... You can't get hit for too many CGI trailers uh, when you're talking about things that are already coming because you're not at that level anymore. Everything will be showing gameplay of some sort. Uh, you can't get yelled at for showing only things that are coming in two, three years. And I think pulling all that together, Xbox did a smart move and it, it, I don't think that anyone would have batted an eye if it hadn't been for the fact that last year they showed off too many games. So then you get to come into this year going, well, why didn't I get to see Fable or Avowed or any of these games I'm excited for? Um, and it doesn't help that we have this situation where like, we've been hearing about Fable getting remade for so long that it feels like Fable's been in development for four or five years already. True. So how is it that we still don't have anything real to show of it and the reality is, is that it probably wasn't really an active development until probably two years ago. And they were just saying that, hey, we're going to be, this is our proof of concept pitch of what we think will work. And then it finally got greenlit. Hard to say. But why not just say, the we're doing a showcase to show you proof of concept of what our studios are working on. And you can show Avowed and be like 2025. You can show Fable 2023. 2024, well, this, 2027. This is a good question for you. Yeah. Because it's something I think that everyone has different levels. And I think it's because of how much they want that popcorn movie magic moment of something hitting you that you weren't expecting. 
And the reality is, is that if everybody opted to be super transparent like that, mm-hmm. right? Hey, here is us talking about like, what if Ben Studio was like, hey, we're not doing a Days Gone follow-up. Instead, here's the idea that we're kind of forming around some of the ideas that we got to play with in Days Gone, and this is how we want to use them. This is what we're doing here. There's a couple of things that could be considered issues or benefits. The benefits being that you can see the creative process and kind of get a better idea of whether you want to go into it. Um, But at the same time, the wow factor of some things might be gone on you. Like the wow factor of Horizon being robot dinosaurs that you fight, if that have gotten talked about in 2012 when they first started developing that game, 2013, I don't know if it would have had the same impact when it finally released five years later. But only having to deal with that for about a year and being like, holy crap, what? I'm going to get to fight robot dinosaurs? Seems like more of a... It's, it's more exciting. So do you really think it'd be beneficial for studios just to be very transparent and be like, this is what we're working on and it may not even make it out of pre-production because it may get canceled or we may decide we don't like it. Do you really think that's a, a, a viable option? I, I guess. I don't know. I like, um, I like knowing what's going on and I think it's, I would, again, it was one of those things if they were like, this is what we're thinking about. Here's a, Here's a tra- a concept art and a tentative title. Fine. Hey, that didn't come out. Okay. You know, I think it's different than being like, here's Fable coming out in 2022. Wink, 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 2027. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's totally different. Maybe. I think part of the, the issue for me is that, like, looking into certain histories of certain games... I think that sometimes you need to keep your creations close to your chest so that you have time to eventually craft it into the thing that is going to have the pool. Well, do you think it's good or bad that the movie industry will go, hey, we we bought the rights to Duke Nukem. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's kind of neat. I think the difference there is that that's, you know, that's, if I'm understanding you right, you're saying that essentially the movie companies are saying like, even if we aren't making anything, we have the option to make whatever we want to and that that could technically spoil the surprise in the same way as saying like, hey, here's the rough idea that we have for a game. Um, mm-hmm. Is that kind of where you're coming at from it? Yeah, exactly. I think the only difference being is that a lot of the times, and it does depend, right? I think for you, it looks like, it sounds to me at least like your version is a little more dependent on whether it's a known series or a new IP. Uh, I think that you seem to be pushing the fact that if it's a known series, then you just have them come out and be like, hey, listen, we're Playground or Play Dead or whatever the studio is that is making the new Fable. Mm-hmm. We're being asked if we'd be interested in doing Fable. We think it's interesting. And here's our rough idea of how the game would kind of play. Do you think that that would work better than trying to do that with a new IP? Because like you think back to like the creation of like Infamous, and the fact that at one point in time, I think it was going to be called uh, Uncharted or something like that. <laughs> it, like it had a different name before uh, before something else ended up coming. Uh, and if you look at some of the early versions of it, there's a point in which it suddenly clicked and everything started really making sense. And I don't know if it's really a good idea to show a new IP 
when it's still in these early forms. Like I'll tell you right now, like kind of peeling the curtain back on me and you without saying anything. I don't know that I would love right now while we're kind of in the depths trying to think of the characters in the world that we're building for this thing that you and I are kind of working on. I don't know that I would want to just open up and tell literally everyone, like even if it's just the people who are already part of our audience, I don't think I'd want them to be in right now because I don't think that we still, like we may think we have a really concrete version, but there's still so much that could change because of other things. And I like that idea of being able to hold those cards close to your chest until you're at a point where you feel confident enough to say, here's an, here's a look at something that I know is concrete or close enough to what we're going to be doing. You know what I mean? I do. Exactly. I get it. I'm, I just like knowing stuff. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. To your point though, me knowing that they're making a Dune movie with Denis Villeneuve or whatever didn't really stop the fact that when I saw the first trailer, I was like, oh my God, that looks so hype. You know? So to your point, there's probably a fine middle ground. (laughs) True. I think the way to do it is to actually avoid the stages that we're doing it on and instead just say, hey, uh, in an interview, hey, We know people love Fable. We're talking to a few studios right now. We think we have one that has a good idea. We are looking to bring Fable back, but that's all we want to say right now. Exactly. That's probably the real middle ground. And don't try and bring these things with CGI trailers into something when you're potentially still unsure as to what it is. Kind of like I talked about with Everwild. If you want to talk, if you want to say, hey, Rare is working on another game, save that for an interview, don't make it an announcement because by making it an announcement with a title card and a screen and all that, you're giving it more importance than it may need at that particular time and you're giving it way more expectation than it would be if you just said, hey, Rare working on a brand new game. Right now they're calling it Everwild. It's going to have some crazy nature stuff and some spirits and they're still in the middle of working out exactly how the game is going to be on a gameplay level, but we think that artistically it looks really interesting and has promise, so we're letting them do that. Expectations are so much different from that than when you show a CGI trailer that you may completely end up betraying by the time you finish the game. Yeah, I'd be interested. Do you ever remember seeing Borderlands? when it was first announced on the Game Informer cover, before it ever came out, years before it ever came out. Mm-hmm. I do remember. It did not look anything like Borderlands, the game that we eventually got. No, it didn't. But I don't think things changing It wasn't bad. nearly as stylized, which is fine, and I didn't have a problem with any of that. But it's like looking at the way the game is and then looking at what you actually get, it's just kind of like, huh. Showing games early enough can be cool, and I think Borderlands is probably a good example of that. And Dead Space was kind of a decent example of that too. But it's interesting to see how much a game can change. Question being is showing that game's changing a boon or a negative? I think it's a good thing because I think it's interesting to see yeah um i don't know if you've ever seen games that do it but one of the things i like about the indie sphere um like a good example was with um hellblade the original hellblade they announced it and gave just a little cg cryptic trailer that kind of showed a little bit 
And then they started doing development diaries, which were really fun to watch because while they gave me a little bit more of an idea of what to expect from the gameplay and from the visuals and things, it didn't really spoil anything from the game. And it only stood to make me more excited, like watching the development diary where they're talking about figuring out motion capture on a budget. I was like, this is really interesting. And I get to see some of this titular character going around. And then you get to see, okay, hey, now we're talking, this is the development hour where we're talking about the way that we want to show damage. We want to have a minimal to no UI at all. We don't want to HUD. So instead, what we're going to do is have it to where as you defeat enemies, they slowly show more and more blood and, and damage to their skin until they eventually die. And as you take damage, you don't have a health bar. Instead, your screen gets more and more red as you continue to get closer and closer to death. And I think that that was something that stood to make me excited without giving me the same expectation as if you showed these exact same things on an E3 screen. Instead, by making it a a completely optional YouTube thing where you can just go and follow it because you're interested, it made me more Mm -hmm. excited for the game. That's fair. I can understand that. Hmm. Is there anything else you want to talk about in regards to the community stake at all? I do not know. All right, buddy. Let's go into the news here. And heads up, Chris wrote the news. He is forcing me to say these things. He has a Nerf gun to my head. Mm -hmm. You can't see his arm that's off of the thing. He's over. It's actually over here. He opened a portal. And um, (laughs) I'm being threatened at gunpoint. So, (laughs) Andrew Bowen, the voice actor who portrays Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat 10 and its sequel, Mortal Kombat 11, appears to be teasing the next entry in the franchise. He tweeted a photo of himself at WB Studio with a song that sounds very close to Mortal Kombat 2's theme song. MK12 being the next game from the storied studio, NetherRealm would be a shift from its usual roadmap as the publisher has been rotating between Mortal Kombat and Injustice for the past few years. There we are on that. Um, Injustice 2 is great. So I I personally hope to see them do something that's not Mortal Kombat in the in-between because I also think it helps... It helps deal with Mortal Kombat fatigue. Fair. I, this is the only studio I think can pull this off, but I need DC versus Marvel. Never say never. (laughs) I would cry. Are you joking? Spider-Man versus Batman, that would be so cool. And the story mode. Do you imagine the Nether Realm like that Injustice story mode, but it's like the DC guys like got sh- portaled over into the Marvel universe, and now they're all fighting. Oh, that'd be so cool. It would be cool, but it, it's just one of those things where I'm in that Spider-Man Far From Home mindset where before, uh, not Far From Home, I'm sorry, uh, No Way Home, mm-hmm. where you're kind of like the thing about that movie. It's like, it's like oh, there's no way it can happen. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Now you're like, I don't know. Yeah, but it, it's one of those things where you feel like, even though it, to you it makes so much sense to let it happen, I always feel like it's one of those things of like the egos and the prides of the companies being yeah. like, <laughs> Iron Man we, can't the be Marvel in a people fight. can't be. Yeah, are the are the inverse. You the fact that you would even pre- create the potential for Batman to be able to beat Iron Man is bullshit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> with enough prep time, Batman could beat Thanos all by himself. 
And and I don't even mean from the fan base, which the fan base is certainly going to have those people. But I've always, and maybe I'm projecting, (laughs) but I've always kind of pictured that the studios themselves are kind of like, we're Marvel. We're the superior of the two. We're not going to be with DC. Whereas (laughs) it probably isn't. It probably isn't that way. There's people that like to imagine that Sony's like that. And it's like, have you ever seen Sony just being like outright dicks to Xbox? And they've had, they've poked fun and good fun. Like the, here's how you play used games on PlayStation 4. But that wasn't being like overtly mean. It was just was taking an opportunity to, to throw a jab at Xbox. True. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. I was like, did he forget that one very specific dig? <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, it was almost more of like a... It's funny because they didn't even say anything bad about Xbox. No. But the implication of it all was there. Yeah. So it's more of like a, a dig at them by just highlighting your own features that you yeah. just happen to know they, they don't have. So they it's got a little on different, the boat but because of the implication. <laughs> it's, it's the implication. <laughs> it's the implication. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. I don't know, man. I still am curious to see if uh, if NetherRealm ends up getting bought by somebody. That's kind of my. It's coming. If the WB game sales g- goes through or not to anybody, and it, and in this particular era of acquisitions and mergers, I just can't. I can't imagine it not happening. I can't I would imagine never, that somebody's not like, bro, we need to hop on WB yeah. right now. I would never in my right mind guarantee this, but Sony buying NetherRealm makes far too much sense given their uh, Evo purchase that I just don't see why it hasn't happened yet. If they're selling. Well, throw this out as well, though. And this is more of a curiosity. But is there more value in NetherRealm if they can get that as a single singular studio, which that's the what if, versus going to Capcom and just buying all of Capcom and being like, look, Capcom's been killing it lately with Monster Hunter and Resident Evil and all these things, and they have a, a, a very popular fighting game developer within their ranks that makes Street Fighter. We're just gonna we're gonna buy Capcom as a whole so that we not only bolster our single player story driven games, our multiplayer games in the way of Monster Hunter, and then the purchase of the fighting studio so that we can help support our Evo in- initiatives. I guess it's kind of a one big purchase versus a s- notably smaller one, but the big purchases get a lot of benefits. They do, but I've been arguing a lot for the just the. Uh scatter very specific and targeted acquisitions super giant high moon or moon studio my biggest question here is would the people like team cherry and and all that makes sense nether realm and all of these different things that we're even talking about at this point atlas even are part of something bigger than that Mm-hmm. I can see selective purchasing for strictly independent studios like um Supergiant um, and all that. But I don't know how that translates. Like, would WB, I'm sure for enough money they would, but would WB be willing to sell NetherRealm separate from everything else when, if NetherRealm is included in the full sell, there's more of a value proposition to get more people in the door to look at buying everything if, if NetherRealm is part of that rather sure. than parceling out their studios. But, but what if, that's just my take on it. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's what more value for them buy... to sell all developers separately and make more money. Yeah, but what if you can buy NetherRealm for $400 million? Or, hey, you can have all of this for a billion. Like, 
That's you know my argument. Mean? It's like why at that point why wouldn't Sony just be like, yeah, we'll take Rocksteady and and because why? And, well, why? Because it's only six hundred million more, and yeah, you but get it's, it's way more developers. And at, you know what I mean? Like it's six hundred million point. more in that you're spending on a team that makes the same games that you already make and better. So you know, and I, I could actually see an argument where. WB is like, yeah, we'll sell Rocksteady and we'll sell Traveler's Tales, but we're still going to make Batman games with Rocksteady and uh, WB Montreal. That's what I, if, if I was them, I think that would be the smartest thing to do. Be like, yeah, well, we'll let these guys make their Batman games. Those are popular. You can have Mortal Kombat and this for $500 billion. Whatever. Oh, man. Mortal Kombat's popular as well. I'm not saying it's not. Games, it's there not hasn't Batman. even been one in years. That's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like I said, and yet Mortal Kombat also... keeps coming out and selling massive. So it's, I get your point, but at the same time, it's weird that the biggest thing about WB selling that's been weird to me, absolute no holds barred after that, is that they, they have been so vocally out about talking about it and letting it slip when I feel like if I was in the position of WB, I'd be waiting to see how well Hogwarts Legacy does. Mm-hmm. I can understand. Rocksteady have just, I think for a long time they were waiting to see what Rocksteady was doing next. And I think it just went on longer and longer and longer. And they think that Rocksteady's a gold mine, but they reached that point of becoming like a Ken Levine, where Ken Levine's last game was Bioshock Infinite. And he's been head of so many studios since, but has not put a game out. Every one of his studios has been closed. And his most recent studio has been given seven years to develop with a basically limitless budget and nothing to show for it yet. And you have to ask, at, at what point does 2 say no and at what point does WB look at uh, at Rocksteady and say enough is enough no like finish a damn game that's that's kind of my weird point so I think Hogwarts Legacy was something that's closer that I would have thought that they would look at and say oh hey here's how this works yeah I I think it's kind of the same argument I said about the Square selling off uh, Crystal in those studios. It's like maybe in a full purchase, these guys don't even move the needle, right? Like maybe Sony's like, yeah, we'll take them, but we get some money. You know, maybe they'll say the same thing here. Maybe Microsoft is like, yeah, we want Batman and Rocksteady, but we don't have the infrastructure for Mortal Kombat. I mean, it's Microsoft; they do have it, but you know what I mean. And um, they have the money now. Whether or not they actually have the infrastructure to uh, be conducive to developing those games continues to be a, a, a sore topic. Exactly. Uh-oh. But yeah, I think in that particular situation, buying up studios is weird because I feel like you have to buy up studios that you know that your production people can work well with and so that you know you keep that you know that your production people can work well with them and keeping a real thumb on them and being like here's the dates that you have to try and hit even though we're trying to be loose with you and give you the time to make something that's great and for lack of anything else Sony has historically had a great run of having their back-end production teams work with their studios to make sure they get stuff out in a timely manner in a way that Xbox just quite hasn't. Um, so we'll see. I'm really curious to see who ends up buying who in this situation or if 
or if Hogwarts Legacy does massive gangbusters and WB goes, never mind, we want to keep all of our games internally because we have a chance for lightning to strike like we did here. Yeah, it's definitely possible. It also depends if they can hold off long enough to, to where they're not bought by the time Suicide Squad kills the Justice League comes out. If that game can actually do as as big as Batman at its height, WB may once again kind of be like, yeah, it's, we, you know what? I'm glad we didn't shutter <laughs> Rocksteady. Yeah, like, let's make some, <laughs> let's make some games. Let's make some games. Oh my God, games. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, in disappointing news for those interested in interesting games, Rebecca Kutaz, the new boss at DICE, gave an interview to GamesIndustry.biz revealing that the studio has, quote, no time, end quote, for anything other than Battlefield. She specifically ruled out Mirror's Edge, uh, more Mirror's Edge, though the sequel to the 2008 PS3 and 360 title failed. It's still disappointing to hear that DICE would rather spend its time adding basic features to their most recent failure, Chris's words, not mine, rather than looking to do more interesting if riskier titles, though I do agree with the latter point regardless. Um, I'm also objectively right. I I don't think that I'm in the minority completely here in, in terms of people who actually played it. Mirror's Edge Catalyst was phenomenal. Really good. I I did. I thought that game was going to suck. I bought it for $5.99 <laughs> on a sale and I, did not, I could not stop playing it from the moment I turned it on. It was all I played for like a week and a half. It was really fun. I would nice. love more Mirror's Edge. I think it's ripe for potential, but if nothing else, at least we got two interesting titles out of it. But yeah, um, that that one's weird because whenever they bought, whenever EA bought Respawn, I thought part of that was that Vince uh, also over went over. Is he not now? I think he was just like helping them. Maybe I don't know. I guess I don't know. I don't know, man. Is it weird? And I know that games take so long to make that there's not much else you can do. But I really hate to see studios that were once known for creating multiple titles limiting themselves down to creating only one series. I, I, I mean, I agree, clearly. Um, I just don't... And it, it's not even that they always have to be the a series that was already established. I just like seeing new games from people. Like One of my favorite things about Visceral was that almost every Visceral game that they came out with was vastly different than the one before it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. I agree. I think there's... We're in that thing where, like, if you strike any kind of gold, you're going to be at that gold mine for the next 10 years. And that's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Mm. I don't know. We'll I don't see. know, Mike. We'll see for sure. I don't think they would because DICE has been so so much of a part of all their sports games and everything with it's like it's their way of being able to have their studio they having a studio that's essentially their technical directors for everything yeah <laughs> there's a part of me that like wonders is dice on the verge of getting closed down and my answer is i, I tend to think no because just to be blunt bioware is still around i'm glad that they are around but BioWare have had two very high-profile flops. And I don't just yeah. mean like flops. I mean... Like... D- like yeah, deep dives of, of 
failed expectations uh, from EA standpoint, at the very least. I say that. I mean, Anthem still sold gangbusters. It's, I mean, is four million from a game from Bio- Bioware amazing? No. Is four million for that game that had people talking iffy about it before it even released amazing? Honestly, yes. Yes. So, being what it is, but we'll see. Uh, in more big publishing L's, Tony Hawk himself flew into a live stream on Monday and said that due to Vicarious Visions being absorbed into Activision Blizzard, RIP, saddest move of the mm-hmm. of the last few years, a Tony Hawk 3 and 4 remaster was canceled, similar to how they did the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 Pro Skater remaster. Uh, he indicated that despite other developers being looked at to do the title, it appears that the dream of those titles being re-released is dead. Rest in peace to Vicarious Visions. Let's hope the predatory microtransactions in Diablo Immortal are worth it to Activision Blizzard. They probably are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That game has made stupid money so far, and I've yet to see, and this is a problem with the internet, but I've yet to see anyone on the internet, I've yet to hear anybody in person talk about the game, uh, but I've yet to see anybody on the internet talk positively of the game. Well, did you hear about that stream? And yet it made $26 Yeah. Well, there's one guy, I don't know if you saw the story, he he spent 24,000 New Zealand dollars, the funny monies, and never got a legendary item. Moby Dick, White Well. Yeah. Yep. yep. Speaking of which, you were talking about Mastodon. Did you ever end up hearing Blood and Thunder? Oh no, I did not. I just listened to check that song Box. out. The only reason it even came to mind is because the song is essentially about Captain Ahab and oh, and the White Well, Moby Dick. Oh. And it's that song is awesome. It's okay. you know, but there's a there's a line where it's split your lungs with blood and thunder when you see the White Whale, and it's. The delivery is just really punchy and cool. Mastodon, right. I really liked Mastodon's early albums. They've just lost me in recent years. They're still a yeah. solid band. I'm, uh, not, I'm still not going to that concert, sadly. Spirit Box. <laughs> can't, Courtney. Can't blame you. Come on your Courtney. Own. Well, I mean, I meant go on tour without <laughs> Ghost and Mastodon. Hey, she can do yes. what she wants. Yeah, yep. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Old Waifu. Check out Spirit Box if you haven't. I don't even yeah. care. I don't even care what kind of music you like. Listen to Spirit Box. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I don't listen to their type of music. I guess I do now, but I didn't. You do. Yeah. Chris, no, I, I have do. somehow found a way to introduce you to enough bands and you had your own little experiences to where I think you've become a metalhead in the kind last of, six yeah. months. And it's been, it's kind of been beautiful. Dude, it was hilarious today because I was listening to like, at work, I was I had on the speaker. I was listening to Holy Roller, but the Rio Kinoshita version. If you've heard that one, mm-hmm. the remix, very good. Yeah. yeah, I had that one playing, and then the next song that played was "I'm Alive" by Kenny Jesney featuring Dave Matthews. <laughs> and everyone at work is like, "Chris, what the hell is going on?" I'm like, "I believe that 100, and I'm proud of you. That's yeah, that's awesome. what I want you to know. Both incredible songs. Dude, whenever I showed you Ginger, I was, I just knew in my heart. That you, I was like, he's, he's gonna end up not liking it. And then when you liked, it, I was like, yes, because <laughs> I, I was like, if he likes ginger, then I can show him anything at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I can show him anything that I, I'll have a better north star of where your limit is on some of the music that I love. Mm-hmm. I still think you will Lake. find it in you. Find you will find it in you to love Guar. You just need to give it. A, I'll give it a chance. I think you'll get there. 
I think you'll get. Sounds like a commitment. It sounds kind of like I have to watch a movie, but in music. That's why I haven't really listened to the album yet. Kind of. I I almost wonder. I almost wonder if the way you should go about it. I love doing it from the album. Definitely for Go to Hell. It's a great album. I almost wonder if what you should do is look up whenever they were doing the Go to Hell tour, where during Mm -hmm. the live sets, they would actually do skits that play out as the in-between sections between songs to fill in the story. Yeah. And their their live shows are just absolutely wild. They spray fake urine from giant penises onto the crowd. They shoot, they shoot cum from (laughs) the crowd. They spray blood on the crowd. It's all fake, but you know, it's part of the very theatrical, they're crazy space aliens. I don't know if you have yet, but have you, have you even seen a picture of Guar? Like whenever you looked at that song, just type in Guar on Google images. And I just want to see what you, uh, what you come up with. What, what what picture comes up? Because, Power Rangers, dude. <laughs> yes. So they dress in like power metal stuff. Yeah, it's like Mad Max Power Rangers. Exactly. It's amazing. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's, I like that a lot. It's so ridiculous, but they do all the shows in this, and they all have fake names. Like the singer is Odorous Arungus. He's actually dead, so they have a new one now. Rip. Uh, yeah. Press it, it's... it's good time yeah no i don't know i'm a big i've become a metalhead it's pretty sick i just don't know the the scene you know what i mean it's like i got spirit box and moved and that and then like but i've gotten to the point where like my playlist radio will just be like a lot of metal now (laughs) so i heard vortex by ginger which is an excellent song big fan of that song it will probably never happen but going a little bit more back towards the conversation we were having about games uh As much as I can lament that there is no Tony Hawk 3 and 4 remaster, I have I have to throw this out there for whoever it is that has the rights to this. Yeah. I need somebody to go in and do from the ground up remakes of Dave Mira Freestyle BMX. <laughs> Dude, the games are so fun. And they are they are jammed right in the part of my formative memories, right there alongside Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two, and they had bitchin' soundtracks. What's the so game called? Good. I found it. Dave okay, Mira Freestyle BMX. It was a, there's a PS One that one, and then Dave Mira Freestyle BMX Two was a PS Two game. It looks like it's Acclaim owns it. Then whoever owns Acclaim now, get, get on your stuff. It says was it's, so rip. Yeah, they went bankrupt yeah. on four. Yeah, somebody bought them. I don't know who that is. It looks like Crave Entertainment did 2006 publishing for the last game in the series. But look, those first two on PS1, PS2, amazing. First time I ever heard Sublime uh, was on the beginning level where there's a train track and then there's like a trailer park and you have to wait for the train to have a section that's a you know doesn't have a freighter on it and you can jump through it and get to the other side. Incredibly fun. I love that game very much. I have Dave Mirror Freestyle BMX on PS2 still. I need to play that, the PS2 version of 2. But I just want that game to get the same ground-up treatment because that game is so fun. Dave Mirror is dead now, so RIP to the king. Yeah. Um, but that's just uh, that's life. We got to keep on going on. Uh, so next thing up in an interview with VentureBeat, Housemark's managing director, Larry. I don't know if it's Hillary. I think it's supposed to be Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> Quittenden. I hate to tell you, man, this is a foreign country. I don't know how you pronounce his name, so you just have to roll with me. Talks very little. 
about the studio's next IP, but did say that it would not be a sequel to Returnal. The studio is not opposed to the idea, but it's exploring new avenues rather than immediately returning to Atropos. And I remember one of the things he said from that is now that they have Sony's backing, they can go even more off of the wall. Yeah. Do what you want to with that sentence, but that's, if nothing else, an exciting sentence to hear somebody say. It is. Because <laughs> it's ret- if you're telling me that Returnal wasn't off the wall, then I don't know what to do with that information. But that's okay. Uh, next up, Insomniac has hired Davison Carvalho as the art director for Spider-Man 2. You'd be forgiven for not knowing the name, but the get is very exciting for Marvel fans. Carvalho contributed contributed to multiple projects for the MCU, including Captain Marvel, Thor Ragnarok, and Captain America Civil War. He should help bring an authentic feel to the game. Now, this is where I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to back against you a little bit. What, uh, not buck back against, can I ask for clarification? Yeah. What clarify. is it about him that would bring authentic feel to the game that no one else would bring? Out of curiosity. I just that he's worked with the properties before, so he probably has more of a knowledge of that, that's probably why they went to someone from the MCU, but yeah, not necessarily I'm in sure. terms of like, oh, it's going to feel like the MCU now. This is Tom Holland, but more like, I, I mean, I certainly hope not because one of the things I really would love the games to do is take the opportunity to explore a different side of the Marvel universe and not one that looks like a carbon copy of the movies. But the problem we have with that is that we're in a point where games tend to want to be photorealistic as I've often lamented that they did not have the balls to make a Spider-Man game that looks like into the Spider-Verse, which I think would be infinitely more interesting to play and to experience. And I think that they'd win even more awards if they were to figure out that graphical style and be able to do it in real time. It'd be amazing. I'm going to tell you how Spider-Man three is going to play out, right? This one's going to finish Venom and Craven have done some wild stuff to the multiverse, and the game ends with Tom Holland jumping onto the roof in front of Miles and Peter, just like in the ending of Spider-Man 1. And the third game is going to be three-player co-op, Tom, Tom's Peter, so Peter 1, Peter 2, Miles Morales, there you go. Spider-Man 3, baby. I'm not even upset with that because that sounds great. I still just want them to have the balls to make a game with the art style of, uh, or even something similar to the art style of. Realistically, now that it'll never happen, but now that the MCU has opened itself up in the way it has, they should just do a game that goes through of like the the Insomniac versus Peter, uh, Peter just flying through portals and be like, "Oh, what's up, Miles?" and doing it in that art style, and then. What's up, Tom Holland? Doing it in that art style, and then a Sam Raimi inspired Tobey Maguire led level. That would be cool. You want your linear Spider Man? I'll buy in for that. <laughs> Dude, that you literally just basically gave a new version of Shattered Dimensions. I did. I'm totally fine with that. And yeah. Shattered Dimensions is probably one of the absolute tip top. It's probably the pinnacle. It's the of best linear Spider Man. Not Insomniac game. I think. Yeah. So. I think at that point, looking at Shadow Dimensions as a thing and saying, hey, let's move between different universes and have different playing style and different visual styled Spider-Man is amazing. And I would 100% love that. So don't promise me a good time that you can't bring, <laughs> Chris. You've done this. Um, 
We'll see what it ends up coming down to. I mean, it's cool. I think it is a big get, but sometimes I kind of lament that that games try so hard to look realistic. Yeah. Even when it's I, nice. I mean, it's 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 nice to be wowed by a game having fantastic graphics that are photorealistic, but it's also nice to be wowed by a game that just looks beautiful and incredible. Yeah. Like, dude, Hades sure. looks so good. Does it's not realistic good. at all, but that game is no. beautiful. Beautiful. I do hope that if they do this this linear game we're talking about, <coughs> one of the worlds he accidentally swings into is Tom Holland's Nathan Drake. He's like, you're not the right one. And then he leaves. <laughs> It'd be more fun if he swings and he goes, you look familiar. Like after he left the the actual yeah. Tom Holland Spider-Man one, he actually yeah. swings into that one. Like, you look familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Have no, we met? Pete. <laughs> you get that, that nice uncharted sound cue. That would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, next up, the fallout from Google's abandonment of Stadia seems to have been a windfall for Xbox. Titles The Quarry from 2K and Justin Roiland's High on Life, now an Xbox timed exclusive, were both in development for the cloud service and were picked up after Google's murdered another piece of interesting but half-baked tech. It's also been assumed that Xbox's recently announced Hideo Kojima collaboration was also in development for Stadia. Now, I don't know about that one. That very last piece there. I mean, clearly, High on Life looks awesome. I'm going to be one of them saying that. It looks so good, and it's such a step up from what Squanch Games has done before that I'm a little surprised. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in a, in a great way. Uh, so that's cool. But man, this makes me really, like, I hate to say it. Stadium might have been banging if Google wasn't stupid. And yeah. Google's biggest problem, and it's the same problem that Microsoft used to have, ironically enough, is you get to the game with too bold of an idea at first, and not everybody buys into it. But then by the time that everybody starts kind of getting on board with it when you're doing cool stuff, you decide to give it up. Like, dude, Microsoft with the Zune came out, by the, the first Zune was kind of iffy. I'll give them that. Whatever. Stadia launched, little iffy. Fine. The Zune HD, which is the last Zune they made, was amazing. It was so far ahead of anything that the iPod, Apple had at the point from audio quality standpoint, what you could do on it, how easy it was to put music on and off of it, share music for with other people. Every bit of that was amazing. And it was way smaller, could hold more songs. And Microsoft's like, yeah, I guess we're getting out of that game now. I was like, what? You get out of the game when you fucking perfect it? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't, Google has done that so many times to the point where like I have been hesitant. This is only the second Pixel phone I've ever owned because after buying my Pixel 2, I had the fear. I was like, they're going to kill Pixel. I just know Google, they always do this. They put money into something and then they kill it. Microsoft did the same thing all the time. They start Mixer or whatever that Twitch alternative was and it was dead within a year. They are the worst about pumping tons into something and then just being like, nah, never mind. We're going to completely divest from this thing that we put way too much money in to begin with. But some of the games that were coming from Stadia seem awesome. And I think that if Stadia could have just held a little bit longer and let these games hit to where you really have a proof of concept as to whether people would be interested enough in the games that you contracted out for them to have come to your system. Yeah. I don't know. You, I got a funny story about Stadia, actually. My old boss... Um, his brother worked at Google, so I he told me all about Stadia like three, four months before it got announced. 
I was like, "Ooh, do I go to IGN?" Like, no. Uh, I feel bad. Every once in a while, I'm like, "So, how's uh, how's your brother doing?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I have wow, a Stadia. I, I have one right here. I don't. It's funny because I had multiple opportunities to get it for free, and I completely forgot to ever redeem them. Uh, and sadly, that's where we are right now. Google Stadia. Is that complete inbox? Is that your free one? It's my free one, unopened. The one place for all the ways we play. Google Stadia. Never opened it. Garbage. Google Ouya. Yeah. Gooya. Gooya. No. They should have just bought this, Ouya. This, this talk of assumption about the Xbox project being, uh, or Hideo Kojima project being originally Stadia, I don't think so, man, because that's been in talk since well before. There's been rumors about Kojima and Microsoft for a long time. And I feel like the beginnings of those were before Google completely divested themselves and announced they were going out of Stadia. Now, that could still be the case that he started with Google and then whenever he already had the idea down, he wanted to talk with Microsoft since they were the only other cloud-based place. Um, it's not that it's impossible. That was more just like the conjecture around everything. I could, it could be totally wrong. I didn't mean to imply it was true, but sure. Yeah. I'm just saying like as interesting as that would have been, I don't think that that's actually right. But if we one day find out, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, see next thing up, Sonic frontier studio head Takashi. Izuki has said that players, quote, don't understand what the game is, end quote. That may be true, and that must be seen when the game releases. Let's hope the studio does listen to the fans and delays the game for some polish. I told you that when I watched it, I didn't think the gameplay looked terrible, but it did look aimless. But that seemed like it was on purpose. Like they purposely were trying to obfuscate what the point of the game was, which I don't know... The I don't understand the pathology behind that. Why do you want to show? Are you trying to show that so that you're showing for the first time that Sonic has the ability to be open ended without a goal? And if so, what's the benefit of that information? I don't know. Um, for me, the biggest thing I took away from that trailer was that the game didn't seem to run very well. There's a lot of popping in that trailer when you watch it again. So yeah, I mean, like. Actually, from a frame rate standpoint, it looks fine, but it is the pop in is distracting. Yeah, um, it's definitely it for must a be bad. Game. It must be bad if you're putting it in a, if it's in a trailer. That's my concern. It's not like oh, this is a work in progress. It's like if you thought this was good enough for a trailer, what are you hiding from me? <laughs> you know, the Battle yeah, of the World. I don't know the, draw the, the the trailer was kind of weird because it was almost like they were saying it's a trailer for a early look. Yeah. So Which in a weird be. way, this game could be a year out, but people are overreacting now. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, Sega has told them that, hey, if you yell at us loudly enough about Sonic, <laughs> we will do exactly what you ask. Well, but it's like I said to you, the joke I made where I said uh, it would be disrespectful to the Sonic franchise for them to make a good game. Apparently they heard me and this is what they're doing. It's fine. An open zone game. That's cool. I'm interested to try it. I think that conceptually, just the idea of large area Sonic, where you have a lot to, where you have a bunch of open-ended ways to go about doing platforming, which actually makes me think of Mirror's Edge. Mirror's Edge at its core is essentially a platforming open world game. 
So clearly okay. it can work. And it this can. isn't even quite open world, but the idea is really cool and fun. You're not just you're not necessarily selling me on the execution yet. I think that some parts of it look it looks intriguing enough for me to be more interested in the potential of what it could be than I was when Sonic Forces got shown off because Sonic Forces just look like ugh more of this. Yeah. Uh, Sonic Boom was so bad that you just don't want anything like that coming back around. So I don't know. Sonic Boom. Did you see that there was a, I don't think it was this interview, but there was an interview where he was talking about a lot of the ideas. And this is unfortunate because it might mean that the success of this game plays off the potential for a Sonic Adventure 3. But they were saying that a lot of the ideas in this game that they're using are things that they're wanting to get experience working with so that they can eventually incorporate some of these ideas into a Sonic Adventure 3. And that these are like early versions of things that they've been looking at to where if they ever decided to return to Sonic Adventure, that they'd be able to put these things in. So it kind of sounds like this game is, or Sonic Adventure 3 to a degree hinges on this game. And I don't know if I love that, hate it, worried, I hate it because I want the Chow Gardens back. I don't even know if I want a Sonic Adventure 3. Like, the dumb, nostalgic aspect of my brain says yes because, you know, it's just that consume and I want more and I want the nostalgia hit that will come with seeing Sonic Adventure pop up as a title screen. <laughs> Your mind's I don't know no. if Sonic Adventure 3 could actually be good or even similar to 1 and 2. I think the biggest reason is that Sonic Adventure 3 would almost undoubtedly not undoubtedly not bring the voice cast back. And as weird as that as that may be for me to say, the voice cast is part of the reason that Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 are so charming. True. I don't know, we'll man. I'm I'm torn. I, I'll take it again only because I want Chow Gardens. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what ends up happening there. I really hope that Chow Gardens makes some kind of return. Maybe they make a return in here. Maybe. I Maybe. hope so. Well, next thing on the news, Tom Henderson reporting for Try Hard Guides has leaked plans for a PS5 Pro controller. It will have removable analog stick and grips, trigger stops, and back paddles. Henderson has also leaked an event revealing more hardware, which has actually come to pass now, and peripherals would be coming soon. This coincides with another leak from Zuby Tech, which revealed multiple tiers of headsets and monitors, presumably joining the reveal party sometime this month. So there's going to be three headsets that are essentially tiered off uh, a more budget uh, grade, a mid-tier grade, and then a high-tier grade, as well as two monitors that are going to have PlayStation uh, or you know best for PlayStation features. So just to clarify, these are Sony products, uh, but they are being marketed in conjunction for PlayStation, which makes sense. So the the marketing tagline for this is find your zone. And it's June 28th, so this sounds pretty accurate, but that's what the leaks are for the time being. So June 28th, 4 o'clock p.m., if you want to check that out and get into that, you can. Otherwise, we're going to, for the time being, believe that the the leaks are true because they seem so. Last piece of news. Actually, Chris, real quick, question is brought up. Because of the fact that these are being talked about and leaked as Sony projects or products and the fact that the renders showed Sony and not PlayStation marketing on them, do you think that these will replace the Pulse headset 
like the low $99 tier will replace the Pulse headset and Sony won't make it anymore? Or do you think the Pulse will still be the PlayStation branded version and these will just be, hey, here's benefits for PlayStation players? You're muted. I think it'll be the second one. Um, I think it's like the Pulse is one of those things where it's like, Oh, I gotta get I gotta get little Johnny something to go with his PS Five. Oh, he oh yes, my my Johnny does play that Fortnite. Yes, he does. Oh, he does. Uh, he needs a headset. Well, this one says PlayStation. I'm very much comfortable with PlayStation. That's what I bought him. I bought him a PlayStation Five. So I'm just gonna have to buy him the PlayStation headset. I think that's kind of where the the niche that that headset will fit in, and the you know the what's rest crazy are about for that, people though? like us is like the way that they're doing the Sony one is almost more in line with how they used to do stuff where you had three tiers. You had a budget tier, a middle tier, and a higher tier where they had mm-hmm. the silver, gold, and platinum headsets Yeah, uh, for PS4. But the silver headsets were always cheaper. The gold headsets were normally $100, and the platinum mm-hmm. was more like 170 But yep. the lowest tier of this, uh, the, the Zone collection, seems to be leaking at a $99 price point, which is right where the Pulse is at. I'm surprised that PlayStation isn't doing the same thing where the Pulse is the mid-tier $99 one and they have a $70 one that's like a lower tier. Maybe the Pulse will get a uh, price drop. Maybe. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the more options you have to fit a bigger range, the better. But there is some value, I think, in being able to say like this is marketed as PlayStation. But if Sony is smart enough, I think that they can essentially market it for PlayStation and say officially licensed and put the product on there and all sorts of stuff. There's ways, but we'll see. Sony's such an interesting company and the way that they do all of their, uh, their tech stuff. Have you seen their uh, in-ear headphones that have like the donut hole shape so that you can hear other people through while you're still listening to music? No, why they go in your ear. They're called uh, link buds. Check it out. Sony link buds. You should just Google it. And it's so you get natural pass through so that if you're working in an environment where you want to be able to listen to your own music, but you also still need to be able to hear other people on a whim that you can hear through this whole. I mean, that's like a really good for people who like me who work in restaurants, but everything else seems kind of crazy. Yeah, it, they're really interesting. I mean, it's a cool first take and a cool idea. I wonder how comfortable they are, but I don't want to spend $179 to find out. No, me neither. But it continues to be one of those things where I love that Sony does stuff like this because to their detriment, they tend to do stuff like this. They make phones like we do. One of Sony's new phones has got an actual movable, like a, a lens that has a actual adjustable focal depth so you can you have a, an f-stop that moves an actual piece inside to give you a real gradual increase to the next f-stop instead of just being digital zoom and that's crazy but i love it and i hope that more phones do that instead of just adding another five cameras on the back of phones like we're getting <laughs> in mo- modern day how many cameras does your phone have oh i've got seven. <laughs> oh, don't you know my always, new phone has yeah, like even cameras. even Google's has uh, has three, yeah. And for a long time, I kind of liked that Google was like the steadfast, like we're only going to have one lens because you can do most of these same things with a single lens. And then they kind of dropped that to try and get better market share because people say more cameras equals better phone. No, the camera doesn't even affect the phone. <laughs> the camera does, but that the phone market is a crazy place. It is. 
Good, good for people who make a bunch of money off phones. In the last set of news, Square Enix has added on to the incredible potential lineup for the PS5 in 2023. In a Final Fantasy event, they revealed multiple titles, including a Crisis Core revamp called Crisis Core Reunion, which is a remaster of the original PSP title, complete with new 3D models for everything, complete dubbing, redubbing of the entire game, so new voice acting for everything, and every line is voiced, whereas some used to just be text only. Um, and they are coming in winter for all consoles as well as PC. The big announcement of the show was Final Fantasy. Well, the big announcement of the show was Crisis Core Remastered, you boy, just so y'all yeah. know. But <laughs> the other big announcement of the, of the show was Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the second of three parts, as they've now announced, for the Final Fantasy VII Remake series. It will be a trilogy Revamp, uh, sorry, Rebirth is the second entry in that, which comes exclusively to PS5 next winter. Very important wording, next winter, because we know that spring, if I remember, or summer is uh, Final Fantasy 16. Yep, summer. But that means that Final Fantasy 16 is definitely going to be 2023. Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth has the potential to come next winter, which could also include 2024, <laughs> because. It's not winter, it's not spring until March. So I have a feeling that we're probably not going to get Final Fantasy 16 and 7 in the same year. What are your thoughts on that? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? I'm an idiot. I miss, I completely missed it. Oh, you're you're fine. Do you think there's a a chance that Final Fantasy 7 and 16 will come in the same year, like some people are thinking? Or do you think that 16 will be their 2023 game and uh, 7 Rebirth will be their you know, between January and March, uh, 2024 game. Well, didn't they say winter 2023? So winter, twenty twenty three. they said next, they said next winter, oh. next winter spans from, you know, what September, October, whatever it is, uh, into March of 2024. Uh, I wouldn't that be surprised. Was, uh, that wording was on purpose. Cause if they said, <laughs> if they would have said winter 2023, I'd, I'd agree with you. They didn't. They said next winter. To be fair, they said this winter for Crisis Core, which could mean that Crisis Core is a January, February game for next year. I don't think they'll do that, but they could. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 2024, but it would be sick if it was 2023, just because that would be such a cool lineup to see. Dude, if they did Crisis Core remake in like January, February, or even March, and then in like June, July, they put out 16, and then like November, they put out Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. That'd be insanity. That might be it the biggest be. year for Square ever. <clears throat> Hell, biggest year for PlayStation. Those are all exclusives, dog. Well, not Crisis Core. Yeah. Well, Which whatever. I'm a little surprised, because what we were talking about, or what I was bringing up in the Discord is, and, and it may just be me looking further into something that doesn't really exist, but doesn't it seem to at least some degree, and I know you were involved in that conversation, doesn't it seem to some degree that Sony has some kind of first bid heads up from Square on any of their games or they have like first option to be able to get exclusivity by throwing money at it before anyone else? Or what do you think is going on there? Because the fact that they've got, the fact that they have Final Fantasy VII exclusive, the fact that they have Rebirth 
still exclusive, the fact that 16 is exclusive, and the fact that Forspoken, which while not a Final Fantasy title, is still a AAA Square Enix title is exclusive, time exclusives, uh, at the very minimum for all of them, maybe full exclusives. We've yet to see console exclusives. We've yet to see Final Fantasy VII hit another console. It seems to me that Sony is in a position with Square where they have essentially worked out a contract where all games that come through, they get first dibs as to whether they want to throw extra money at it to make it timed exclusive. And if so, I could see why Sony could be like, Crisis Core is great, people love it, but there's less value in getting time exclusivity on a remaster of a game than there is brand new games, and so they let it pass. Or do you think Sony just randomly looks at a game and says so? Because the fact that we don't normally know about the game beforehand makes me think Sony's got some kind of first dip. <coughs> well, I'm almost wondering if this is one of those... Hey, you like this Crisis Core game? Yeah, you can get the rest of the series on PS5. And they're just like, yeah, let them all have it. They can come come play the rest here. I, dude, I thought about that too, because if you let Crisis Core, which is the first entry into the Final Fantasy VII series, and you make people think about that, and you say, hey, if you want to finish seeing the rest of Zack's story, you got to come play Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation, or at the very least on PC. Uh, that wouldn't be a bad marketing move. That's what I would do. It's just interesting to see. I mean, I, I don't think that there it makes sense to be an exclusive, at least at this point. I think that the the thing that they should have been doing this entire time is they should have been throwing whatever money they could to get Crisis Core remastered and completely redubbed with new models on the Vita as an exclusive back when the Vita first hit and they were needing games. No reason that you shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, here we are. So we'll see what comes of all of that, but it's an exciting year for Final Fantasy fans because even if seven isn't your speed, 16 is a totally very different game. So you have that kind of that setup where you can go into a different route. And even Crisis Core, Crisis Core does not play like seven remake. It's a, it's a different game. So just because you may not have liked Final Fantasy seven remake, Chris, I, I think I don't remember you being blown away by it. Crisis I'm Core gonna play it again. plays a lot different and it's really good. You should play Crisis Core. I will be buying it 100%. So there you, you, you can play, I'll play it. it. Um, I've always wanted to. It's a great game. It's it's very hard to play. Is it? Where are you going to play Excuse it at? Me. It's not available digitally. It's only available physically on PSP. Well, or a modern not- one. So, All right, Chris. Well, did you decide if you want to talk about, and I know you kind of said it to me, do you think it's worth talking about the Fallout and Bethesda things, or do you just want to leave that? I feel like it's, we can give base thoughts, but I feel like it's kind of just stuff you should see for yourself. I don't know if anyone missed it. Apparently the Fallout 76 team uh, hates that game, and it was in a pretty abusive scenario there. Um I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about it. I know that I sent you the Yang Yeah video. I don't know if you watched it, but some of the quotes I was I was hearing in there, it's like, guys, it's what are you talking about? But I don't know. I don't work in that industry. I only work fifteen hour days regularly, so it's okay. Yeah, I mean, to, to give some some context here, um, Eurogamer has got a. Um, 
uh, a thing on it as well. Uh, and this is pretty much directly from it. It says, a new report into the development of Bethesda's widely derided Fallout 76 has painted a picture of a studio in disarray as poor management, a lack of design, direction, and engine challenges created an environment of apathy, confusion, crunch, and burned out, and a game that ultimately failed to resonate with players. And I wonder, is this like a continued thing, considering that this game has continued to get updated and going along? Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know. It's there's clearly a lot more going on with it. Some of the things that are going on is that management is said to have believed that using creation engine would be the lesser evil um, between using a different uh, engine. They chose to use creation engine, which has no multiplayer foundations in it at all. So it was essentially like whenever they tried giving dragon age uh, inquisition and anthem, the frostbite engine and said, figure it the fuck out. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, great. This engine is made for multiplayer games, not single-player games. And uh, what's going on here? This There is no inventory system. There is no anything. A very, very odd thing. Uh, there is, let's see, it says, it's claimed that while Bethesda's Todd Howard was technically in charge of the project, he spent most of his time working on Starfield, while designer director Emil Pagliarulo quote, didn't seem to want to be involved with the product at all. He didn't want to have any contact with it or read anything that we put in front of him, end quote. Yeah, I don't know. It it just sounds like a nightmare. The biggest thing for me is like, game companies treat your employees better. Uh, Employees maybe (laughs) grow a pair, but it's, 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 I think it's a slippery slope on both, both sides. Like, the company should be valuing their employees I think the employees also need to realize that their value is in the product they make. So there needs to be some kind of split between the two. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the part of the problem is, is that people get in these positions where they're kind of viewed at in infallible ways. And I think Todd Howard is in this position where a lot of the times people take his words and really run with it. And they think he, here's Todd. He's this nice guy and this creative thing. And that might be the case because all this is, is, secondhand information that you end up working with. But like, this is a really interesting thing that I think is a a good example of why sometimes people who get in these really big positions like Todd Howard, where they're essentially management as well as creative directions. Uh, This right here says Kotaku sources say the considerable time requirements and technical challenges associated with adapting the creation engine for multiplayer were not only demoralizing, but the main reason that management insisted on ditching one of Fallout series key staples NPCs. It's claimed, quote, almost none of Bethesda's designers wanted the game to launch without NPCs, but executive producer Howard refused to budge on the issue up to launch. So what you're telling me here is that Todd Howard, the one who is making Starfield, said, hey, you're going to use this studio. You're going to use this engine so that it looks and feels like a Bethesda game. You're going to use this this style so that it looks like a Fallout game, but you're not going to have NPCs just because we want to make sure that you're strapped in with this. So essentially, hey, we can't figure it out very easily, so we're going to not do NPCs. is a really bad reason, and I don't, understand how that can be the thought process that someone does. And I think that Chris, this might be the most salient example towards what you were talking about with transparency toward development. 
these might be things that we get to see and hear about and know about early enough to where the management doesn't have to make all these decisions on their own. If we know, hey, here's the idea, Fallout in an open world still, but with everybody being multiplayer, there wouldn't be NPCs. We've had issues trying to get in the works. So we're thinking, skirt the issue and eschew something from Fallout in a, to make something new and interesting. What do you guys think? And you can have that, that issue be solved by being transparent with your audience in an earlier state. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise you, you give too much power to management, which I get is also a good thing because you want a creative force that doesn't budge. Yeah, I don't know. I just there's an argument for like, listen, maybe you show things early so that in a game like this, people can tell you if your ideas seem kind of garbage <laughs> before you've committed too far. Like it would never happen, and why would it? But if there was Todd Howard at one of his Xbox Bethesda showcases or whatever, like, hey, we're thinking of making a Starfield multiplayer game. This is what we're planning on doing. We'd love to hear feedback. And then they open up a website that says Starfield Live Service, and then there's a survey there. You know that might have helped with seventy six. It might have ruined seventy six because then you would have gotten people like, let me play a Deathclaw. You know, but. I still think yeah. it would have been more valuable than putting out what they put out. Stuff like that's hard to balance, but you know, part of the reason I kind of look at that, right? It, it, I really advise anyone who has time to go through and read all about it because the report is really interesting. And if you like Bethesda, I think this might actually paint Bethesda in a weird picture. And it, I think it actually might speak to some of the issues I'm having when I'm looking at things like Fallout 4, how it was a miss for me and how Fallout 76 was a miss for me and how Starfield looks to be a miss for me. And I'm starting to think that the Elder Scrolls 6 is probably going to be a miss for me, at least in terms of initial announcement. Um, but you're going to play Fallout 5, this one, which was announced, right? I mean, in 2045, <laughs> maybe. No, but look, there, there's a part in this where they talk about how the game had such problems with development that they had to pull people from other studios. So one example is they had to pull people who were working from Star, uh, Starfield into the game. They had to pull people from Arcane Studios' Redfall team. So that game's been being made for a while and had to get had to stop, and that game got delayed, likely as a result of what, having to pull off and create a game that they shouldn't have really had been working on just so they can get this game out. But the, the article says... Uh, the development that led to that is said to have driven an exodus of senior developers who had worked on some of the biggest Bethesda titles, including the likes of Fallout 3 and Skyrim. So what you're telling me is that poor management and poor you know, decision-making, essentially, led to some of the key people behind the games that are the reason that you love Bethesda to leave, and yet you're here believing that, at least right now, that Starfield's going to be amazing and and not miss some of the things that you love so much about those other Bethesda classics and that Thelma Scrolls 6 as well is going to have those things. It just seems likely that when you have that kind of exodus, a lot of people like to look and go, it's probably Todd Howard and his brainchild. But the reality is, is that Todd Howard has ideas that I'm sure are great and are cool. And you can tell he definitely does think of these things a lot. But I think he has to pass that down to a team who understands ways to take his ideas and make them into actually good workable ideas that can work on a gameplay level and design level. And if those people aren't there, then what made you love those games is potentially at risk. We won't know until those games release, but 
That's a scary thought process to have. And it happens at a lot of developers that aren't even just Bethesda. We see mass layoffs happening and mass leavings happening at Blizzard. There's a lot of people that are worried about the future of Blizzard games because a lot of people who are very behind the the early days and making and success of things like Overwatch and Diablo have completely left the company. Um, and it's, it's understandable, you know, there's pillars for a reason. And sometimes it's good to come in with something new, but it's bad that when people leave just because you don't know how to manage something. Uh, so I think that this is, a, this is similar to a lot of other things and that it's a cautionary tale. Um, people like to think that the only studios that have problems are the ones that get a lot of vocal output when it's happening. Like we saw with CD project red, but as we saw Bethesda, one of the other cream of the crop highest that you can get for Western RPG developers out there had similar problems. They just did a better job at covering it up and not letting it leak out. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's huge. Cause you got to wonder how many devs have this issue, but they're like, if you fucking say anything, I'll goddamn choke you out kill you you know what i mean and then they're actually Honestly, i wonder i wonder fairly often if naughty dog is like this <laughs> i mean probably probably it was like i got to go get my hair did you guys are gonna have to spend 25 hours a day working on the last of us part three sorry <laughs> yeah you know sometimes it depends i can kind of respect the people who ask that of people but are doing it themselves mm-hmm. and the reality is is that we hardly ever really see that we don't always get know that it's happening and and how it's happening but the reality is, is if you don't want to work at a place just don't work at a place but you know if if you hire onto a place with a guy who tells you or a girl or a boss whatever it be who tells you that they are their this company's pushing forward and they aim to do big things and that if that comes at personal cost, that's what that company is about. They give it their all to do something that's meaningful. And then you hire on there after being told that and then you're like, oh, never mind. I don't like the meaningful. That's not really on the company. They kind of, companies, some companies can be very upfront about those things and it's up to you to see if you want to rise to meet that challenge because some industries and some of the things that we love, we take for granted, come from people who are just maniacal in the sense that they want to give every ounce of their being into that product. So what you're saying is rise tarnished and work on Elder Scrolls 6? Sure. <laughs> sure. Rise tarnished and make Starfield look more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Fill those 1,000 planets. Fill them all. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have too much more to say about this. I, it tends to be a very loaded topic, which kind of makes me worried. But listen, I just think the well, company sees a treat. I get the loaded aspect of crunch. And, and, you know, like I said, there's no way to know what... I think the best thing that companies can do is be honest with whoever's coming into their place and sell them on the dream of what they are. Listen, mm-hmm. we're Naughty Dog. And part of what comes with being Naughty Dog and what we expect and what we strive for is having games that push the medium in ways that are incredibly noteworthy, award-worthy, and push other people to look at our ideas and see how they can interpret themselves. And that comes at the cost of sometimes long days and long nights. Are you down? Because the reality is, is if we... I... 
the thing that the balance is, is that people should have the okay to be able to move away from that. And they should, they, they do. Anyone can quit a job. If, if you go into a place with one mindset and then after a year, a couple of years or one game or whatever you decide, I had my fun in that challenge of my life. I gave everything about that game and I loved it. But my next project, I don't want to be that on. You can back out halfway through the project. You can be like, you know what? I've loved my time here or I've hated it. I thought I'd love it, but I didn't. You can leave. But the reality is, is we won't get games that we absolutely adore and fawn over if it wasn't for people giving every ounce of themselves occasionally. That's just something that comes with game development. And as long as the people are doing that of their own volition, I'm okay with that. Because the reality of it is that Stardew Valley, one of the most beloved little games, wouldn't have happened if one guy didn't sit there and create that game for months on end for 12 to 15 hours a day with no other job, no other work in his apartment. And that's the reality of some of the most amazing games that are out there is that they took one person who was just crazy enough to see their idea come to completion. Um, so it, it can be a loaded topic, but I think my answer is going to stay pretty similar across the board on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, so uh, what do you think the uh, community's take should be, big homie? I don't know. What do you think needs to change in the games industry? That seems... That's that's an interesting one. I'd be curious to see how ripe people are with what comes out of that. But yeah, what kind of changes would you like to see in the game industry? Uh, And be selfish. Be selfish as hell here. Say the things that you want. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. If if what you want is to be more thoughtful of other people, then sure, say that. But my point being is if you have something that you'd love to see, throw it out there. I'd love to hear what things people view as important and not important in the game industry because... I think that the spectrum is a lot bigger than a lot of people really think about. Definitely when you think about the indie sphere and what people like about the indie sphere. So, all right, Chris, thanks for joining me, big man. Uh, I will talk to you probably after we get through recording this because I know we still got some some work to do, but I'm going to go off and visit the family and whatnot. Do you want to fill in for Saul and roll us out of the show? Do you want to you take on a new role today? Oh, um, let's see. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash triangle squared. Brett will let you in. You just have to send us an invite. Blah, 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 blah. Um, You can, (laughs) can, if you want to help support the show to do things like buy me a new mic stand or fly me to Texas or pay a voice actor, you can hit us up on (laughs) patreon.com slash nartech. That'll matter here Uh, soon. Um, let's see. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Do we do Twitter? Is that a thing? I'm at figs21k. Uh, Brett is yeah. at triangle sqrd. Um, that's me. Yeah. Drink more water. Have a good week. <laughs> Drink more water. <laughs> at least sixty four ounces a day. Apparently, the average male. Let me, let me learn. Let me let me learn you something real quick. Mm. Not you, Chris, mm. but anybody else out there who may not know. I think it's ridiculous if I'm being honest. Okay. You, uh, the average size male is supposed to drink like four inches of water. And, what? Sorry. No, it's like 128 ounces. Four inches. That's a totally respectable size. It's an Incredibly respectable size, size of water. <laughs> <laughs> no, but. Uh, I know, like, used to before I started kind of getting on my health kick, um, I used to not drink anywhere close to what I drink now. I typically drink about 64 ounces of water 
and then some kind of like tea or unsweet tea or um or like a what do they call those sparkling waters um so I, I normally get up to like maybe 80 to 90 ounces a day but the average man is supposed to drink 3.7 liters oh. of water per day litrus and dude that's 125 ounces that is so much water it's a lot of that water, my dude. So much water. Chug that water. Hey, uh, did you hear about the chameleon who couldn't change color, Brett? No. Yeah, he had a reptile dysfunction. Thanks to our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> awesome Dave, one three three seven, Aztec King. Leechion69. Thank you. The Lord Corgi. Thank, Thank you, Chris. You. Salvador Garcia, <laughs> Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days93, Joshua Lago, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, Sean, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Steven Salazar, Shadowist, and my name is Dan. If you want to be cool cats like them, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. We would love you forever, and we won't tell your mom. Uh, see you guys next I might. week. At breakfast. <laughs> <laughs>